Take your Bibles today and turn to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22. I want to read one verse here. I want to give you what God's laid upon my heart to the best of my ability. At the end of the service, I want you to stay with me for just a moment more. I've got something special that the Lord put in my heart early this morning that I think we need to do. And we'll stay online so that our online audience and our e-church can do that with us. But go to Proverbs 22. There's one verse that stands out here in the beginning of this chapter that I want to read into your hearing and then we'll explore it together. It's verse number three. It says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. I'm going to read that again. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. On Tuesday, Chief Emergency Preparedness Officer Tommy Rask of the Finnish government was being interviewed by Sky News in the United Kingdom. They were in Helsinki, Finland. The entire story was about Finland and how the current situation in Europe and the war in Ukraine has triggered a reaction in the Finnish government and even in the hearts of the Finnish people. Mr. Rask was talking about the 800 miles of border that Finland shares with Russia. And Russia has obviously shown to be an aggressor, a super nuclear power that will wield its power when it so desires. The interview pointed to the threat that Russia now poses on Finland and Sweden. And just a few minutes ago, the president and the prime minister of Finland announced that they are joining NATO. They're officially putting in their bid to join the treaty, the alliance. Just one and a half years ago, if you would have asked the Finnish people if they want to join this military alliance called NATO, only 20% would have said, yes, we need to join NATO. We want to join NATO. And yesterday, the poll that came out that the Finnish government produced, it showed that over 85% of the population now believes that it should join NATO for the protection, for the cooperation militarily. That quickly, their entire world and perspective has changed. And this interview was talking about Finland and its preparations and its borders. Even the infrastructure in the city itself in Helsinki is built for war. The public pool there that's in downtown Helsinki can be drained in three hours and house 4,000 people in a matter of minutes as a bomb shelter. There's 50 feet of granite above that swimming pool. It's dug underground. And Finland is now changing their tone and their posture because they know that there is an enemy and for them it's not a matter of if that enemy will strike or if that enemy will come. In their mind it's a matter of when that enemy will strike, when that enemy will come. And Mr. Rask concluded that interview in a calm manner with a steady tone. And what he said grabbed my heart and really has not let go of my heart since I heard him say it. But this is his quote from the interview. We've been preparing for a long time, 
we, the finished people, have a heritage of preparing. A heritage of preparing. If something changes and something unordinary happens, we are prepared. We can keep going and we can keep living. A heritage of preparedness. And church family, my heart today, my burden today is exactly that. That we as a people, we as a congregation, and even as individuals, that we would assess our own lives. This is not for your husband or for your wife or for your friend that brought you to church today. But I'm talking to everyone individually. That we would assess our own lives and our own level of spiritual preparedness for the enemy that's not coming but for the enemy that's here. You see, it's not a matter of if, but it is a matter of now. It's already happening. And God has brought us to a place today where we will examine our faith, we'll examine our dedication, we'll examine our walk, our involvement in the kingdom work, and our spiritual preparation for the hour in which God has brought us to live. Remember as we preach today, remember as you embrace this message that God has sovereignly assigned you this time to live. It is no accident that God has you alive and well in this day and this age. That is no mistake. God has not brought the church this far to simply give up on the church or stop protecting the church, nor is it the time for the church to simply roll over and play dead because it's not very popular to be a Christian anymore. It's an opportunity for us to take a deep breath, realize where we are, and assess our own hearts, and if we're prepared. My heart today is that you would leave more prepared spiritually than you've ever been before to face what you're going to face. All through Scripture, Christians, believers, God's children, are called to prepare. This verse in Proverbs, there's a very important word here. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. In other words, the Bible's saying that wise people, wise men and women approach, they see, they take in the fact that the day of sin and wickedness is here. But they have made a plan not only to stay away from sin and to stay away from wickedness, but to live in the world and not become of the world. They hide themselves away from this wickedness. They don't participate in the wickedness or the sin. They have a plan. They're prepared. They're exposed to it. They see it. They know that it's coming. But they have an appropriate response that honors God and keeps them in the right fellowship with God. It says a prudent man does this, that he foresees the evil. It says that naive people, this verse is indicating that naive people, people who want to live with their head in a space of unrealistic expectations or unreal, unrealistic understanding that as you walk into this world or your children walk into this world, that you have to foresee the day which is coming. You've got to understand where it is that you're living. The point is you've got to be prepared to deal with what it is to live in 2022. No one is going to live in this day and this age and do it on accident. 
You're going to have to live in this day and this age with intention and with purpose. Everything you do must happen on purpose because God's put it in your heart that you will not fall into the evil, that you will not fall into the sin or the wickedness of the day. The word prudent there, it's very important. It means to act or to show with care a fault for the future. A fault for the future. This church, I've said many times over the past few months, this church is an olive tree church. If you know anything about olive trees, you'll plant the tree, water the tree, watch the tree grow, but it could be generations before that tree gives fruit. And many of us today, we're enjoying the blessing, the bounty, and the fruit of a tree that someone we do not even know planted We're enjoying the fruit that Ralph Sexton Sr. and Nana and Jerry Payne and a lot of other dedicated people planted knowing that there was another generation that was coming down the road. And they had prudence about their spiritual life and they said, we need to plant some trees so that when the next generation gets here, they have something to consume. They have a place to be. They have a church to come to. People that are prudent in their spiritual walk. I'm gonna give you a few things from my heart and from God's word that I believe that every Christian, every Bible believer under the sound of my voice needs today as it pertains to spiritual preparedness. Number one, to be prepared, you must know what's coming. To be prepared, if you're gonna plan and prepare and be ready for what's coming, you've got to know exactly what's coming. The world is changing. I mentioned last Sunday that the days of Aunt Bee and Barney and Andy sitting out on the front porch eating peach ice cream and going to bed and not locking the door, those days are over. You say, what a sad thing to say. Well, the fact is God's not changed and the devil's always been the devil. So what changed? We changed. We legislated it away. We allowed morality and things to happen in our world that 55 years ago you would have thought would never happen in the United States of America, but it's just a fact of where we are. And it would only be a a miraculous working of God for us to get back in culture to a place where you can just enjoy peach ice cream and not lock your door at night. Those days we chose to move on from. We called them too close-minded. We called them too small and not enough. The decisions of the 60s and the 70s, the materialism of the 90s, now we are paying the price for what we did and for what we chose to live. And those days have eroded. Go outside and you'll see open wickedness of a nation on full display. It's on display for you as a mother. It's on display for you as a father. And it's on display in a loud bolsterous way for your children to see open wickedness open sin and what you're witnessing in the culture of the United States of America is humanity that's kept unchecked what you're watching is human beings being human beings with unregenerate and unborn again hearts being exactly what they are this is humanity kept unchecked with God It's humanity that's just allowed to be as an animal and be humanity. It's really two existences, two realities that do exist on one canvas. On one side of this painting is God, his glory, his righteousness, his goodness. It's a beautiful side of that painting. It's full of color, it's bright, and when you take it in, it's almost too much for you to behold. It's the kingdom of God. 
And what's miraculous is that you have access as a human being to be a part of that kingdom. You can participate in that side of the painting, not because of you or your righteousness or your goodness, but because of what Jesus did on the cross for you and imparted to you. But on the other side of that painting, away from God, and know that the chasm between this great, mighty painting on the left of God and his goodness and his mercy, on the far, far, far other side of that painting is just black. It's an abyss. It's empty, yet it's full of pain and torment and strife and war. It's the depiction of the end game. That is the result of mankind not having any interaction or change as it pertains to Christ. This is illustrated for us very clearly by Jesus himself in the New Testament. Turn with me to Mark 7. Mark chapter 7. Go down to the 20th verse. Jesus himself is speaking these words. And he will now illustrate for you exactly what that other end of the painting looks like. And Jesus said, that which cometh out of the man. Stop right there. This is what man is. This is what man was born as. This is what comes out of men that have not had a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, a heart change, a regeneration. And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man For from within, this comes from the inside of people, out of the hearts of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, which means lust, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All of these things, here it is, come from within and defile the man. That's what we are when we're born. As cute as I was as a baby, as my mother has told me a million times, as cute as I was as a little baby, and it wasn't a very little baby, but that little baby was born with a description that Jesus gives in the New Testament in the book of Mark. I was born with that nature. That's what men are. And the sad part is when a person rejects Christ, not only is that what they are, but that's what they remain. A sinner with sin that's left unforgiven. You say, well, how can a loving God look at creation or look at a person and send that person to hell? It's very simple. The wages of sin is death. But there's a good part of that verse that says, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There is a way out. But when someone is convicted by the Holy Spirit of God and they know that they need a Savior and they know that they're lost, yet they walk away from the light and reject the truth, they are turning away from the potential of what they could have been. And that was to not be what Jesus just described. But the sad part is they remain this description And if they go into eternity without their sins forgiven, then there is nothing more than punishment and rejection from God. That's the Bible. And when a person accepts Christ, the working of the Holy Spirit puts the old man out and regenerates a new man in the Spirit. And that same man who has accepted Christ has now been justified 
the righteousness of God undeservingly imparted to him at the moment of salvation. And now that saved, sanctified, justified person lives a daily walk of death to the flesh. It's still a war. It's still a struggle because that flesh is still waiting for glorification. That is part of the struggle of a Christian life. But the good news is once you're saved, God gives you the strength and the grace and the mercy to make it through this life. To live every day for him and him knowing full well what you were before he paid the price. That's a loving God. And that's a narrative that the world would never want your children to know or to understand that Jesus loves them just right where they are with all their imperfections and all the things they feel insecure and unsecure about. That's the love and the grace and the mercy of God. But church, if you take the majority rule, listen to the words coming out of my mouth. If you take the majority rule, the people who are in charge, who legislate, who make laws, who lead the country, who lead the municipality, who lead the county, whatever you want to break it down into, when the majority rule of that group who leads a nation in direction and who leads a nation in value, then when you have a majority rule who does not accept Christ as Jesus said he was, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and if that majority rule wholeheartedly rejects who Christ is, then you get what we have. What you are seeing is a result of unregenerated people who do not know Jesus as Lord and who openly reject him being in charge. That's what you get. Many of these people are openly working as agents of wickedness and sin and corruption. The direction of our country, listen now, the direction of our country has nothing to do with a political party. It has nothing to do with a political party. The problem in America today has everything to do with wicked, unsaved people in leadership. These wicked people have D's. They have R's and they have I's next to their name in political affiliation. You say, well, I don't believe that it's that bad. I promise you that if you leave Jesus out of the equation, you will get nothing more than a train wreck. And if you embrace what our country has become and you see what we are, we are a living, breathing wreck. And we're wrecked by sin and wickedness and unrighteousness and corruption. Don't talk to me about the wickedness and the corruption of the Ukrainian government. Take a look in the mirror, America. It's the nature of the world in which we live in. You see, at some point, we're going to have to break ties with what we want to know and with what we want to believe. And we're going to have to embrace the Bible as truth. The Bible said that days would come that were full of war and rumors of war and affliction and pain and suffering. And ladies and gentlemen, the trumpet is getting ready to sound and Christ is getting ready to return. And in these last days, if you're going to be prepared, you've got to understand what the fight is. 
It's not coming. It's not five years away. It's not 10 months away. The fight is on. It's here. And Christians have become public enemy number one. Why would a woman stand in front of the Supreme Court with a toy baby doll and stand there and tear it apart and destroy it and scream and yell? That has nothing to do with the health of a woman. It has everything to do with evil and wickedness. Nothing about this is political. Nothing about this is even remotely political. We've been told to keep our mouths shut, to not say that life begins at a certain point, to not interject our opinion as Christians into the culture because we'll be labeled as political operatives. I'm an operative of Jesus Christ. I stand for righteousness and for what's good and for what he wants. And everything to do with the pro-choice movement is nothing more than open violence against God and his creation. You say, that's not a very popular thing to say. There may be less people here on next Sunday. There may be more people here next Sunday. It's okay. Someone must stand in the gap, and it's our responsibility, it's our job to say it has nothing to do with the fact if you're a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent. It has to do with evil, wickedness versus righteousness and good. What would God want? What would God say? And God says that the murder of a child in the womb is exactly that. The good news is, amen. The good news is if there is anyone under the sound of my voice or worshiping with us online who's been duped by center or Planned Parenthood and you had an abortion, it's not the end of your life. There's grace and there's mercy that abounds greater than anything you can imagine. And it's not found in any sort of political movement or an Instagram page. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ who loves you and who will forgive you. Why would there be such an onslaught in our country against children? Innocent young children to confuse them and to change what gender means. That has nothing to do with human rights. It has everything to do with indoctrination of wickedness. It's open rebellion against God. You see, very simply put, when someone wants to challenge the DNA and the chromosomes assigned to them at birth, what they're saying is, I want to be God and I know better than he does. It's just another way to show rebellion towards God. But ladies and gentlemen, this is the battle. This is the field of war set before us. This is where Christianity is going to come to a boiling point with culture. And if we're not careful, we'll simply just walk through whistling Dixie and never pay attention to the evil and the wickedness that is raging in our country. But it's a time and it's a place where all of us have to say, as for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. We will assess everything around us. My babies will not watch a single solitary TV program without me knowing what's in it. Because I want to be prepared. I'll know who their teachers are. I'll know what's being taught in the classroom. Even if it's a public classroom, I'll know what my babies are being taught. It's preparedness. But to be prepared, you have to know what's coming and what's already here. Secondly, to be prepared is to have hope. 
You see, if we were to leave the message there and to back away, it would seem very dark and very gruesome. But the good news is that you can live in this life and you can experience life with Christ, even in this world of wickedness and unrighteousness, and still have hope. You can still live with your head held high, your eyes fixed to the cross. This world and all its wickedness, its insanity, if you're not careful, it will leave you feeling hopeless. Moms, dads, you'll take in what things are becoming. Grandparents, all those tears and the nights that you've stayed up praying for your family and your grandchildren, you'll take in what's happening and it'll feel hopeless. I talked to a grandparent not too long ago that said, I'm afraid to die more than I ever am before, not because I don't know where I'm going, but because of what my grandchildren are gonna have to face without me. That's a real fear. But you can live this life and look at your grandchildren and look at your babies and look at your home and even look at the future of your church and still have hope. Teams that go out onto the field and have no hope that they can win will never win a ball game. If you were to tell the Atlanta Braves that uh, they'll never win another game this season, if their coach got up in their face and said, you guys are losers, you're never gonna win another game, guess what? They're probably not gonna win any more games. But if a team goes out and it knows that it has a fighting chance to win, then there's a good chance that something's going to happen and someone, someone's going to step up to the plate and be who need, they need to be at that moment in that time. And that's what you need and that's what I need as a part of the family of God is to remember that we have hope. And you may be down and out and you may be two games behind in the series. But honey, let me remind you that you got to see the World Series final. You already know who wins the big show. We win this thing. It's going to be in the final play of the World Series. It'll be a beautiful double play where Satan and the Antichrist are both called out, tagged out at home, sent into hell for judgment for all eternity. And we get to go to the ring ceremony. We win. And if your hope is tied to something in a Republican party or a Democrat party or an independent candidate from the fringe, you're missing a really good opportunity as a Bible believer to fix yourself, to hold near and dear, to cling to the cross of Jesus Christ and from him find your hope. America's hope is not in a conservative revival of politics. It's not in changing out who's at the White House or who's in the State House. The hope for our country is the person of Jesus. It's Jesus. You have to have hope. And if the news and politics and everything else is somehow drowning out God's word, then take a month off and don't read another newspaper for the entire month. Instead, fill your heart with the truths of Psalms and Proverbs and Revelation and Romans and Ezra and Nehemiah and Genesis that your God is a big God that's in charge and in control and he casts moons and stars and heavens and earth off of his very existence. He was able to do this. He just spoke words. Embrace that as your God and have hope. And a man's only hope is a powerful head-on collision with the Holy Ghost of God. It opens his eyes and turns his heart to see Christ. Faith in Christ, believing that Jesus is the Son of God in your heart, repentance of sin, that is the only hope. It's the only hope that a man has, that a family has, that children have, that a city has, a state, a country. It's the only hope. It's the person of Jesus. 
The hope to overcome, the hope to victorious, the hope to escape the evil and the darkness of this day is found in one place and one person and it's provided in the person of Jesus Christ. Hope. And if you've lived in this world and it's breaking your heart what your country's becoming, I'm right there with you. If it's breaking your heart to assess what it means to be an American these days, it's tough. But you can have hope above the ebb and the flow of that emotion and have it in the person of Jesus. Number three, to be prepared, you must know where and you must know how to get provision. You've got to have provisions. If you're going to stay in this battle, if you're going to stay in this fight, if you're going to live a life that pleases God, if you're not just going to be another back row spectator or a front row hypocrite, as one preacher used to say, if you're really going to be in this thing and be a part then you're going to have to have provision. As you take in the reality of what this world is and what your family is living in, as you embrace the fact that we cannot legislate hearts to love God, as you embrace that reality, and as you come to your senses and we corporately understand that the Bible is actually the word of God and that one day Jesus is coming and that one day there is going to be a place of judgment for every man and woman and that you are going to stand before God. When we truly embrace that and we know that God in his sovereignty has assigned us to live right now. I know that some of us wish we could live in 1951 and be with Barney and Andy and Aunt B eating peach ice cream. Good grief, I'd love to go today. I would love to. But God did not choose for me to pastor or to live or to be a husband then. He chose me to live now. It's a sovereign assignment from God. You say the darkness, the evil, and the wicked is too strong for me to fight back against. Great news, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What the church needs is to know where to get its provision. And if somehow an iPad or a cell phone that's not connected to a Bible app is where you're getting your provision for what sustains you, what protects you, what feeds you, what heals you, what's encouraging you to live a life with passion so that you can keep going. If that's not coming from Jesus, then you're not being fed. There is no provision. The what of the provision is Jesus. You say Jesus keeps coming a lot in this message. He keeps coming up, his name. Yeah, that's the point. We've got to remember that Jesus has to be the center and the focus of our lives and our homes. It was him that paid for us, that purchased us. We are his bride, remember? Our first love. Parents, where will you get the tools you need to train up your children? It's in the person of Jesus. Jesus is our provision just as he is our hope. It's all found in the person of Jesus. This is where you get the provision. But let's be more specific. How do I receive the provision? Now pay close attention to this. Just because I know Jesus and Jesus knows me, does that mean that somehow magically it will appear in my bank account, this provision? No, it doesn't. I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven does not suffice. There's so much more than your salvation included in this lifestyle of loving Jesus. And I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven is wonderful. But as it pertains to the provision that you need to live, to sustain, and to be fed, it just does not cut it. 2 Peter 3.18, read this verse with me. But grow in grace and in knowledge. 
of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. But grow. There's a verb there. There's action there. Change. Be different. Develop. Disciple one another. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. Know more about Jesus tomorrow than you did today. And how do I do that? His word. His conversation. Prayer as we sang about earlier. And his people. This is how you get the provision. God will speak to you through his word. God will listen to you when you pray. And God will encourage you when you're faithful to be here with the people that God assigned for you to be with. Why do you think it's so hard? Let's just be real. Can I, can I loosen my tie? Please, thank God. My allergies. Can we just be honest? Why is it so hard to come to church? Why does the ball field seem so easy to get to on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock? It just does. And even as a pastor on Sunday morning, listen, I had to go through 17 and a half thousand ties this morning. There's a struggle, there's a war, there's a battle because Satan himself wants you not here. Don't prepare your family at the house when you can be in the house. Don't prepare your family on a ball field and expect to get anything but bat stats. If you want your family to survive, to thrive, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, then they're going to have to be at God's house with his people. And to be in his word. When was the last time God's word, listen, when was the last time that God's word was read in your home? Mom, dad, when was the last time you took God's word and you said, hey, I know the world's scary. I know that school is tough, but let me give you something from God's word that encouraged me when I was a kid like you that wanted to live for Jesus. Are those conversations happening at home? Because I promise you, if you don't want to train them up, if you don't want to raise them, if you don't want to prepare them and give them provision, then the world will set them up for the kill. The Apostle Paul said that Satan has a blueprint, a plan to take advantage of us. And if there's anything that Satan would love to do, it would be to distract your children or to harm them or to bruise them or to make them hate church or to hate God to a point to where they'll never listen to the gospel message in a tender way ever again. That would be his goal. But moms and dads, you're on the front lines of your homes setting up an opportunity for them to see Christ for who he is and for them to live for him. This is how we get our provision. Read it, talk about him, and be with the ones that he's given you to be with. You say, well, I know a lot of people that go over there to Trinity, and, well, some of them are kind of weird. Maybe they think you're weird. Well, I know some of those people that go over there to that church, they're kind of crazy. Well, maybe you're crazy. Maybe we can all be crazy together. The family of God is like a quilt. It has different patches of different colors and shapes and sizes and what you'd rather have on a hamburger. Pastor Nathan, I bring this up every time when I say this. Pastor Nathan doesn't like cheese on his burger. I don't know what's wrong with the boy. But I love him and he's part of the family of God. Do you eat cheese on your burger, Pastor, or Brother Allen? Do you? See, his daddy, he does his daddy knows how to do it right. 
It's not about how we feel or how we think we fit in. It's about being faithful to the God that loved us and who will give you exactly what you need. Just get here. Lastly, to be prepared, you must look back at history. You must look back at history to be prepared for the current conflict. I don't care what realm you're talking about. If it's economics and there's a coming recession, then what do economists do? They go back and they study what happened as the recession unfolded. What decisions were made by the Fed? What did interest rates do? Let's study it out and look back at history at the last recession. The decisions that were made that were a good decision and the decisions that were made that were a bad decision. Let's take it in and let's look back to history. Medicine is the same way. I'm treating a patient in this hospital with these symptoms, but I can't figure out what it is. We'll look back in a medical journal and maybe there's a doctor who has published a paper on just exactly what you're facing. And I gave these antibiotics at this time and I gave this medicine at that time and we reduced fluids and turned down oxygen and things happen. That's how people learn and grow. It's the same thing spiritually. You can look at the world we're living in and what we're facing and what we're fighting But you can look back in history. Even the first century church lived in much more difficult times than we're living. But even that first century church, as you study what they did and what they believed and how they followed Christ, they would go back to the stories of the Old Testament, the story of Exodus, how God provided The story of wandering in the wilderness for four decades and how God gave them provision for exactly what they needed. And from that, the first century church learned how to act and how to live and how to respond to the day and age in which they were living. And Trinity, as I look back at our history and who we are, I don't see a bed of roses. I don't see an easy time. Granddaddy, was it easy? That's a negative. Poppy would tell you the same thing if he was here today. It's not been easy. There were people who had to sell their homes so that we could have that building next door. There were people who had picked up bottles and caps and gave them to get a refund so they could bring an offering. There's been some incredible sacrifice that's been made for us to get this far. And it's not always been easy. But one thing when I look back in our history, Miss Debbie, is I see a lot of godly people who made a plan. They were prepared. They knew what it was to live in the day and the age that they were living in, like the Great Depression. And if you were going to eat, then somebody had to get up out of the bed and get a rifle and go to the woods and hunt a rabbit or a squirrel so that somebody could eat. And in this day and age that we live in, where we can Uber Eats anything that we desire, instant gratification... Super sensitive emotional reaction. That's the mood of the day. In that culture, the church is going to have to be more prepared than ever before. In Trinity, we have a history and we have a heritage of godly preparation. But today is the place. Today is the time. This is the line in the sand where we as a church family, not just individually, but corporately, we say we want to be ready for what God has for us ahead. We're not going to be any different than the people who got us to where we are. 
We can't be. If we don't realize that the olive trees have to be planted for what's coming now, then what will be here in 20 years? Many of you are in your 60s, your 70s, your 80s. There are some of you that are in the winter years of your life. And soon, one day soon, you'll be healed of everything that's wrong. But what are you leaving behind? You say, it's too late for me to dig any holes and plant any trees. No, it's not. Today can be a day for any godly saint that's been living for God for a long time to say today at 78 years old I want to make a difference I don't only want to be prepared myself but I want the ones behind me that are watching me to be prepared what if Jesus tarries for 50 years what if he does not come for another 50 years imagine that today Olena that we get a little note card from heaven and it says 50 years from today I'm coming back what would happen? What would happen? You'd call your lost family. You'd call your lost loved ones. You'd be different at work, at school. You'd love your wife, you'd love your husband and your children a whole lot differently. We've only got 50 years left. What if we only have five years left? What if we only have five months until the trumpet of God sounds and the bride's called back up? I want that five months to count. What if Wednesday is the day? Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday morning until the sun comes up. I got this. I'm going to be prepared. The truth is every person in here, I don't care who you are. You can say, I'm not participating in this today. I don't care who you are. Every person in this room and worshiping with us online, you will stand before God one day. Rest assured. You will stand before God one day. And my heart for you would be that you are prepared, not only prepared for eternity, but Christians that we're prepared to receive the reward that is waiting for us in heaven. Run the race well. Finish well. And in the face of the adversity of this day, let's stand to our feet all over the building. Let's pray this prayer together. That God, today, I want to be prepared. I want to make a difference. Church family, what if we looked at our bulletin and what's inside? And what if we looked at our church calendar and what's inside? And instead of looking at those things that are listed on a calendar or the things that are listed in the bulletin, instead of looking at them as a social event, We look at them as an opportunity to be prepared, to get provision. What would change? We start looking at God's house and putting it in its priority as it pertains to our preparedness. How much more often would we be here? Not out of duty, but out of love and respect for what God's done in our own hearts. That's the difference. As I look at the heritage of preparation all the way back into the book of John. Even Jesus himself demonstrated a lifestyle and a code of preparation. Jesus said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again.
and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may also be. And today this church is gonna follow the example of Jesus. And as he prepares a place for you, we're gonna prepare a place in our hearts for him to have his way and to have his will in our life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the word, Lord, for what you're doing in the life of our church. God, now we pray that you would take this message and seal it. God, that we would live up to the expectation that the Lord has for us. Father, I pray that each heart, each life today would examine itself. God, that it would allow the Holy Spirit of God to inspect them and to show them, God, where things can change in their life. Lord, I pray today that our heart, our attitude would be right, that we would push back pride and that we'd ask God to give us an attitude, a determination, a motivation to be prepared. Lord, I thank you for this church and for the heritage that you've given us. God, I ask you to help me as a pastor of this church to lead and to love. God, I pray that as we follow your will for our lives, for our ministries, God, for what you have for this church that will be tender. Lord, that we'll allow you to lead and that we'll be faithful to follow. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray.